Hey everyone, welcome to the Her Head and Films podcast. In this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and feelings about cinema, especially art house cinema, world cinema. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know who I am, my name is Caitlin. I'm a writer. I consider myself a dreamer. I love literature, art, poetry. And in the last few years, since around 2011, I've developed a really mad, intense, burning passion for cinema. And so I watch a lot of films. I love watching movies. It's a huge um, passion in my life, as I say. So this podcast was created as an outlet for me to talk about the films that I watch. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know the meaning of the title, It comes from an email that I sent a friend a few years ago. At the time that I sent the email, I was watching a lot of films. I was in a really obsessive sort of state, which I get in at times. And um, I said in that email, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. And so I thought it was the perfect way to capture um, the way in which film really is always part of me. It's always on my mind. It's something I'm always thinking about and engaging with. And um, I consider myself a writer and someone who loves literature and books for much of my life. I'm 28 years old and so my passion for cinema sort of came later in my life. So my early 20s I guess you could say. And so it's just very strange that I think about cinema so much. It's it's really sort of taken over my life in this way and um, I still read books, I still love literature, but there is something about films that they help me live, they help me survive. I've gone through a lot in my life, I've gone through a lot of loss, I've gone through trauma, um, I struggle with mental illness in the form of depression and anxiety. So I have a lot that I deal with in my life and there's something about films that allow me to cope and they really are life affirming and life saving for me. And that's why this podcast is so personal and why it's so raw is because I don't know any other way to talk about films except in the way that I relate to them and think about them and the way that they're intertwined with my own life. This podcast does have a Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash herheadandfilms. Patreon's a website where people who make podcasts or videos or any other content, um, their fans can financially support what they're doing. So there are costs involved in, in doing the podcast. And so if you're able to or you'd like to, I have lots of rewards, lots of extras um, from you know, voting on content to getting access to a mini podcast that I do with episodes that are about 10 to 20 minutes. At one level, you can get a shout out in each episode. So I just want to take a moment to do my shout outs. And I'd like to thank Feminist Overlord, Michelle, Jesse, Lindsay, Olivia, and Carolyn. Thank you so much for your continued support of Her Head and Films. And I appreciate all of you who listen, who share the podcast to um you know engage with me on social media i am on facebook if you'd like to um 
engage with me there and you can find me just search for her head in film so I'm appreciative for this space and I'm appreciative of being able to share my love of cinema with those of you who listen and who appreciate my voice today's episode was voted on by patrons um, usually about once a month um, or more sometimes I let patrons vote on what I'm gonna cover in a particular week and so this is patron chosen I guess you could say and it's a film that means a lot to me and I'm not sure how I'm gonna do this episode this feels like the kind of film that's like how do you even talk about it when your life is so entwined and it is Wanda by Barbara Loden a film that was released in 1970 and I have a lot of feelings about Barbara Loden and about Wanda and and the two are very intertwined for me and I feel like we have certain films that become part of our personal mythology and not just films but also books and albums and songs and and artworks and you know we we just have things that become part of the way that we think about ourselves and our identities and I would say that this is that kind of film I don't know how long this podcast will get it could get a bit long I'm just gonna warn you because I want to say everything I don't want to leave anything unsaid about this film I think it's a very important film I urge any of you who are listening to watch it um I'll be talking about the film, I'll be talking about Barbara, I'll be talking about a book that was recently written called Sweet for Barbara Loden by Natalie Leger. It's a French book that was translated recently and which is really looks at, at the making of Wanda, looks at Barbara Loden and it's sort of, it's it's one of those books that's uncategorizable and you can't really define it. And for me those are always the best books. So. I'm talking about everything. I'm going to bring in Marguerite Dura. I'm going to do everything that I can um, to give you a panorama of this film, of Barbara Loden, of my life, and what this film means to me. So, um, so yeah, let's just get started. First of all, I want to give you some biographical information, some background information on Barbara Loden and about her life and who she is because some of you may not know who she is I wouldn't say she's really the most famous person you know and she is a bit obscure in a way and I think Wanda really is sort of an obscure film for some people a lot of this bio information that I'm about to give you is research that I did through another podcast that podcast is called you must remember this it's hosted by Karina Longworth and I into and to prepare for my episode I listened to her episode to get a little bit of background information about Loden so what I'm gonna talk about is pretty much from her podcast and I just want to be upfront and transparent about that and I knew some of this before listening to the episode and a lot of it you can find on Wikipedia and different interviews and different things online so this is sort of a bare bones. If you would like a more in-depth look at Barbara Loden's life, I definitely recommend that you seek out that episode. It's it's about Barbara Loden and it's by the podcast You Must Remember This. So Barbara Loden was an actress. 
She was born in 1932 in North Carolina. She was basically raised by her grandparents. Um, even in her youth, she always felt like an outsider. And um, I will be upfront. I myself am from North Carolina. And so this is an aspect of Loden that really resonates with me is her life coming from the South, from sort of rural America. And you'll see how that plays out in Wanda, which is a film that is very much about a woman, a white woman, a poor white woman in rural America as well. At, at around 17 years old, Loden left her town in North Carolina and she went to New York City um, to become a model. She actually worked for a time at the Copacabana. She would meet um, Elia Kazan in the 1950s. Elia Kazan is a very famous director. He did a lot of different films like Streetcar Named Desire and America, America on the Waterfront. But his reputation was very tarnished when during the McCarthy era he named names of communist of uh, actors, I guess, and people who were affiliated with the Communist Party. And so ever since then, Kazan's reputation has been pretty low. Um, but I have seen his films. I do think they're very powerful at times. And he's a really complicated figure, I think. And he's certainly complicated when it comes to Barbara Loden. Um, he, um, he cast... Barbara Loden in his film Splendor in the Grass. She plays a character named Jenny. And that was probably one of her more well-known parts. And um, her and Kazan were in a an affair for a long time. She was married. He was married. In 1962, she becomes pregnant with Kazan's baby. And again, they're both still married to other people. Um, it's around this time, according to Karina Longworth, and you must remember this podcast, that Loden comes across a story in a newspaper that will become the inspiration for the film of Wanda. And Wanda comes out in 1970. So around 1962, she reads about this woman in the newspaper. The woman was an accomplice to a bank robbery. Um, and I'm not sure what happened to the man, but she's arrested. She goes in front of a judge and she's sentenced to like 20 years in prison. And according to this newspaper article, when she was sentenced, she actually thanked the judge. So obviously Loden is interested in why this woman is thankful for a 20 year prison sentence. So that is sort of the seed of Wanda and over the years it will gestate and it will grow until she makes the film. Loden in many ways saw herself in Wanda. She she felt like she could have become like that woman who thanked the judge for her prison sentence if she had not escaped that town in North Carolina. Another big break for Loden was getting a part in Arthur Miller's play After the Fall. This was a play directed by Kazan. She played Maggie, and this character of Maggie is 
is um, sort of based on um, Marilyn Monroe, who Arthur Miller was married to for a time. And she gets rave reviews for playing this character. It was a really big role for her and sort of put her on the map. I think she won a Tony for it. So that's sort of her acting career in a way. Like before she made Wanda, she wasn't necessarily like the biggest actress, but she had some moments of fame for sure. And um, she was well known in a way. Her relationship with Kazan is really tumultuous for a time. Um, it took many years for him to finally marry her. At one point, his wife dies of like a brain aneurysm, but then he doesn't marry Loden immediately. It takes several years, and they already have a child together. So this is really a complicated relationship. And um, Kazan will later try to take credit for for the film Wanda. He'll try to say that he wrote the screenplay and... And it'll be a recurring theme in Barbara Loden's life of men trying to take credit for what she creates. Kazan will try to take credit. I think the cinematographer on Wanda will try to take credit. Um, and of course, this is what so many women come up against. Um, that there's that women themselves can't be creators. That they must have a man helping them in some way. So, a little bit of background on Wanda itself on the film. It was filmed on a very low budget. It was filmed on a $115,000 budget. Um, it was shot in Pennsylvania. It's, it's, and as Longworth, um, Karina Longworth talks about in, in her podcast, this is really sort of an anti-Kazan film. This is like anti-Hollywood, anti-melodrama, you know, the kinds of films that Kazan made. You know, he made very like Hollywood films. You know, he had a great budget and, he had the best actors and you know he had everything you would need to make a film whereas here is Barbara Loden really making an independent film making it on her own a very low budget non-professional actors natural lighting you know it's it's um so different from what Kazan created and it's just it's astounding I think that Barbara Loden really believed in herself and really felt like she could do this and she had a vision and she realized it under very difficult conditions at times I would imagine. Wanda did premiere at the Venice Film Festival in 1970 and um, and Loden took home the International Critics Prize so this is a film that even though it didn't get wide distribution in the United States and it wasn't like a big commercial hit it was a critical hit and it got played in maybe like universities and, and different places like that and so over the years it's really garnered this cult status I would say especially I think among women although at the time feminists didn't love this film and possibly because the character of Wanda is not necessarily like an empowering figure you know um, but eventually, unfortunately, Loden's life is cut short and she develops cancer, which spreads to her lymph nodes, and she does die in 1980 at the age of 48. So this is a woman who, she really starts as this almost Marilyn Monroe type figure. She's blonde, she's pretty, she tries to become a model. 
she becomes an actress she becomes connected to very powerful men like Elia Kazan Kazan also had an affair with Marilyn Monroe she starts out as this sort of I don't know you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily expect her to just a few later direct this film so she starts from sort of this object I would say this object of men's desires and she really comes into her own with Wanda she writes the screenplay she directs it I don't care what those men say I don't believe it you know I think this was Barbara Loden's creation and I think there are men trying to take credit for it and I think we need to be very critical and skeptical of that you know of why what's the agenda behind trying to take credit for this film why are they trying to take this away from Loden you know and strip her of agency so I would just take it with a grain of salt you know what I mean I don't think we know truly I consider this a product of Barbara Loden and her mind her intellect her artistic vision and that's how I'm gonna treat it in this podcast and um but here is a woman who so much promise and she really fulfills that promise with Wanda but then just 10 years later she's dead and this is the only film that she makes she had written other films she was trying to get other films made but she just wasn't able to so I just wonder even now you know what kind of films would she have continued to make and it feels very tragic to me that here's this woman that just makes this amazing brilliant film and she's not able to realize more films but I'm thankful that we have Wanda so a big admirer of Wanda and Barbara Loden was Marguerite Duras and I adore Marguerite Duras she's a very important writer as I said before I do consider myself a writer um, and she is what I would call one of my mothers you know one of um, she's a very important literary figure for me along with you know Virginia Woolf and Sylvia Plath and Clarice Lispector and um, Catherine Mansfield and Eudora Welty and Ingborg Bachman and you know and just all kinds of amazing women writers that I just adore but Marguerite Duras is like really important to me Shirley Jackson I love as well so she did an interview with Elia Kazan in 1980 for Cahiers de Cinema which is a really prestigious French magazine about film or literary journal about film and I want to read some quotes from that interview that and these are the things that Dara had to say about Wanda quote I think that there is a miracle in Wanda usually there is a distance between the visible representation and the text as well as the subject and the action here this distance is completely nullified there is an instant and permanent continuity between Barbara Loden and Wanda unquote and we'll see this and I'm going to talk more about this in a moment when I talk step by step about the film there is this conflation of Wanda with Barbara Loden and it's something that Loden herself encouraged and talked about in interviews that Loden identified with Wanda with the woman in the newspaper article who 
you know, helped this man do a robbery and then was sentenced to 20 years in prison and said thank you for it. She sees something of herself in Wanda. And so when she was making this film, she's really making a film about herself. She's making a film about women like her who really struggle in life, you know, and have a hard time coping and good things don't necessarily happen to them or they're very passive. And of course, I'll talk about all this in a moment. Another quote by Dura, quote, the miracle for me isn't in the acting. It's that she seems even more herself in the movie. So it seems to me. I didn't know her. Then she must have been in life. She's even more real in the movie than in life. It's completely miraculous. Unquote. I think this is actually a fascinating quote as I read it because as someone who loves cinema, it can often feel like cinema is more real than real life. And that what you see in a film is is more real than what you see in your everyday life, you know. And that's something that I have definitely felt myself. And so I think this is fascinating of Dara to say that Loden is almost more herself on screen than she could ever be in real life, you know. And I think it also shows you, because, I mean, I do think there is a miracle in the acting of this film. I do think Loden did something uh, extraordinary in her acting. And I think her acting is reminiscent of somebody like a Isabel Huber, for instance. And I'll talk more about that. In, in the lack of reaction at times, in the blankness in her face. Um, but I love that she's even more real in the movie than in life. That's a really fascinating quote, I think. And here's the final quote from Dara. Quote, I was very moved by her being herself in her movie. It's as if she had found a way in the movie to make sacred what she wants to portray, what she wants to portray as a demoralization, which I find to be an achievement, a very, very powerful achievement, very violent and profound. That's the way I see it. And I, unquote, and I do agree with Dara in this, that this is a film about demoralization degradation. It's about a woman really in the mud of life. A woman who is not powerful, is not necessarily strong, is not necessarily in control, you know. Um, this is a woman who is really degraded, I think, a lot and demoralized and numb in many ways, numb to her life. And that's what Loden explores, and that's what she looks at in the film. And so, of course, Dara saw all of this. You know, I think some of Dara's character, I mean, what comes to mind for me is like Lowell Stein, the ravishing of Lowell Stein, that there is something about, I think, Lowell Stein, who is very, she's wounded, and she struggles, and I can see something of Wanda in her, I think. Um... So that's Dara's faults, and now I'm going to talk about mine, and I'm going to talk about the film. So as I said, we have to start with the idea that Loden and Wanda in many ways are one, that they're fused together. Loden acknowledged as much in interviews, but at the same time, 
I think we also need to say that this is an artistic creation, that this is a film, this is an aesthetic object that we are watching. And while Loden and Wanda are similar and and they're connected, they are also separate at the same time and that Loden made certain aesthetic decisions when she made the film. You know, she she made things look a certain way or she made certain decisions in her acting or she set the screenplay up in a certain way and so I don't want to take away from Loden the artistic value of what she created and the work that went into it and the thought and the planning and the preparation and the talent and the genius that it took you know and so as I've said before, if you haven't seen Wanda, I mean, a, br a breakdown of the film, a plot outline of the film would be, it's about this woman living in rural Pennsylvania, in coal country, really. She leaves her, her kids, her husband. She's, in her own words, good for nothing, you know. Um, she's nothing. And she meets this man who decides that he wants to rob a bank. He's not a particularly nice man. He doesn't particularly treat her well. And she helps him plan the robbery. She's supposed to go and pick him up and, and, and be his accomplice. She gets lost on the way. He ends up dying in a shootout with police. And that's about it you know this is not a film that's that this is not Bonnie and Clyde you know this is not something that is you know um this is not something that's like exciting or anything like that and I do want to mention all the bio and the background information that was things that I got from the Karina Longworth podcast but everything after that the Marguerite Dura quotes and what I'm talking about now this is me this these are my thoughts my opinions and I just want to make that clear that I did do some research and bio biographical information but everything that I'm talking about now and the Marguerite Dura these are my own thoughts and feelings and opinions they are just mine <laughs> and um I just want to make that clear in case it wasn't but um so that there's not a lot that happens in the film I wouldn't call it exciting or you know anything like that it's sort of anti action film sort of anti any of that it is a very raw bare bones sort of film um, but I think we have to begin and end with the fact that Wanda is no one Loden has made a film about a very ordinary, um, non-descript, unexceptional person. Someone that if you walked down the road, you wouldn't look at them twice. And of course, I think that's the genius of this film, that it is about someone who is nobody, like literally is a nobody. She's nothing. Wanda's not there. Wanda has no voice, no power. She is silenced. She is erased. And even though I think Loden saw herself in Wanda, feared that she could have become Wanda if she had not left that town in North Carolina, 
I think that in making this film, making her film, Loden herself is saved from that fate, obviously. Loden, in making her film, is resisting silence. She is speaking. She is telling her story, and she's melding it with the story of another woman, and she's telling the story of Wanda. She's telling the story of so many women who are erased and forgotten and invisible and, and, um, yeah. And this is actually, and to connect to that, I want to share a quote from that book that I mentioned earlier, Sweet for Barbara Loden by Natalie Leger. And the quote is this, quote, talking about Elia Kazan, Barbara told Film Magazine in July 1971, He taught me that what mattered most was not to remain silent, but I never said a word. I was always silent. And now what's left for me to do? He told me you've got to be heard. Everything that you do must be heard. That's why I made Wanda, as a way of confirming my own existence." Unquote. So for me, that says it all that she makes this film to be heard. She makes this film to speak. And through making this film, I think she's speaking for a lot of women who are voiceless and a lot of women who are alone and forgotten and erased and silenced, as I've said, including me. I relate to Wanda. I am from North Carolina. Um, so I am from the rural, uh, the rural America, even though Wanda is in Pennsylvania, obviously. Um, but in many ways, even Loden, even though Loden escaped Wanda's fate, I feel like I am living it. I feel like I am rotting away in a rural town with no opportunity, no prospects, my life just passing me by, you know, I'm nothing too. I'm no one. My dreams don't come true. That's why I feel this woman. That's why I feel so connected to this woman, to Wanda. Um, that's why she matters to me. She, to me, represents the women who can't get out. She represents the women who never escape. Um, all my life, I have felt small and insignificant and silenced and erased and and um that's how that's how I feel about Wanda um that she she is like that too that you know we, we don't all get to escape we don't all get out and Wanda is like that you know and I see myself in Wanda and um yeah that's that's where that connection comes from for me is that I'm nobody. I mean, really, I'm I'm not anyone. In in my everyday life, I don't matter. I, I matter to very few people in this world. I matter to my mom, <laughs> and that's about it. That's about all I have. I don't have family. Um, I mean, I put family in quotation marks because they've just treated me and. A really terrible way often so I just I have my mom and I'm grateful for that you know but it's hard when you feel like your life doesn't matter
but I, that's just what I have to deal with. You know, I have to, you know, accept it. So it's very interesting how this film opens. It opens really with piles and piles of, I think, coal. I think we're in coal country. It's, or coal mining or something like that. It's this, it's, um, it's the landscape of coal mines, I think. Um, I was struck in this film by the opening of the film. Um, it sort of reminded me of the island in La Ventura. And I think about La Ventura so much. It's It was made in the 1960s, as some of you know. It's by Michelangelo Antonioni. And it's just... I'll probably need to do an episode at some point about that film. But I don't really feel worthy of it. It feels like one of those films that like film studies people talk about. And, you know, I don't really feel intelligent enough for that film. But there's this island in La Ventura, for those of you who have seen it, and it's this completely sort of lunar landscape. It's sort of just inhuman and inhospitable to human life. And it's got these craters and these these hills and cliffs, and it's it's just very inhuman and lunar. And it really is so vast that it swallows people, you know, against this island. The people become powerless, small, nothing. And so when we see Wanda against these piles of dirt or these piles of coal, that creates a certain feeling of insignificance, of smallness. Um... And we see that this is where Wanda lives. She wakes up on the couch on her in her sister's house. Um, and her sister's husband is not happy that Wanda is living there with them. So this is where Wanda lives. This is where she's trying to escape, I guess. This is rural America. This is a place of, you know, not a lot of opportunity, backbreaking work. It's, it's just a difficult place to live. And, um... So, what's interesting to me is that not everybody that champions Wanda necessarily comes from Wanda's world, right? There can be people on the coast and people in cities, you know, people in universities and people around the world, you know, who really love this film, Wanda, and yet they have no idea what it's like to actually live in rural America, to live in a small town, to to work at a factory, to work in coal mining or something and so I do come from that world I don't come from coal mining but I come from a rural background and I still live in the rural south um so Wanda means something very different to me than I think it does for some of the intellectual or academic people or people who are not from that world I am to a certain extent you know and I identify with her struggle and her her inability really to sort of cope with life and to cope with the world in which she finds herself and and um and so that's where that personal element for me comes from is that this is part of my experience too and part of my personal lived reality what wanda experiences and goes through i have worked at a factory i have you know grown up poor and working class and so these things are personal to me 
you know, and that's why I champion this film is because it's sort of a rare instance where a film is about a real person, an ordinary, small, struggling, powerless person. And that's what you see with Wanda. And as I said before, the way that Loden acts in this film is very... I think it's very brilliant, and I think it's very naturalistic. And I don't know a lot about the method. I don't know a lot about acting, personally. But, um... There is an overall lack of emotion on Loden's face, and I would imagine that this is on purpose. And as I said, it reminds me of Isabel Hubert's acting, of this sense of blankness. And I think it's actually really reflective of real life, where people tend to sort of hide their emotions. And um, there's certainly this like blankness about Loden and in that role. And she doesn't show a lot of emotion at all and this film doesn't have a lot of dialogue so she doesn't get to sort of say a lot she has to convey and communicate through her face and through her mannerisms and through what she wears and all these other things that she has to use to act in this film because it's a very bare bones sort of dialogue there's just not a thought there she barely speaks. When she does speak, you can hardly hear her. It's like she's scared of speaking. She's scared of being heard. And this resonates with me so much. I have always had trouble talking to people and speaking. Always. From the time I was in kindergarten, I have not been able to speak to people. It has been so difficult for me. I would have people ask me in school when I'm like five, six, seven, whatever, ask me if I was mute. They did not think I could speak. Um, I was incredibly shy. I don't even think shy captures it. Um, I had immense amounts of social anxiety. I still do. When I was in college, it was torture. It was torment for me to have to do public speaking or to have to even talk in class. You know, part of your grade will come from how much you engage in discussions. And I just found it profoundly painful to have to talk in front of people. And my heart would race. Um, I would get hot and sweaty. I mean, it, I had a physical reaction to having to speak in front of people or speak to people. And I still struggle a lot with anxiety and with and with social anxiety and talking to people. I would say that this podcast is really my only outlet to be verbally articulate and to be verbally heard and to have a voice, to literally have a voice. You know, sometimes we'll say that in an abstract way or the voice that you have through writing that people read. But it's very important to me to have this podcast and to be physically heard for the sound of my voice to register and for other people to listen to it. That matters to me and that's important to me. And so um, that's why this podcast is really a lifeline for me and it's just 
you know, so important. And, um, you see something similar with Wanda is that she has this very light spoken voice. She's almost like a child's voice, almost like she's a little girl. And, um, and even when I would speak when I was younger, I was very like light voiced, like I didn't want to be heard, you know, or I was scared to be heard or I was scared to speak. And I see something similar with Wanda that with her little voice and you can barely hear her at times. And, um, I think that's an important part of this character that it's part of her silencing and her erasure, um, that she's not able to speak and, um, and to be heard. And, um, as Loden herself said, as Kazan told her, you need to be heard, you know, and I think she partly makes this film to be heard, to say something, to represent a woman who was silenced. And I was writing about this film on Tumblr, like I watched it, I, it took me several days to watch it. Um, the first time I saw it was in 2015. And I watched it on Turner Classic Movies. And um, so watching it again in 2017, there were things I had forgotten. And I just forgot how raw it was. Like, it's so... <laughs> you feel like you're not even watching a film, really. You feel like you're almost watching, like, a cinema verite documentary. Um, and there's something painful about that at times. Like how realistic it is and I mean this is this is a film about a woman who's really demoralized and numb and at times really struggling to cope and I could not watch the full hour and 40 minutes all at once I found myself having to do about 30 minutes at a time and so it took me about three days to watch it um and I just on Tumblr, I was writing about this, like, how did she do this? Like, how did she do this performance? For me, it's like both mental and physical what she does. It's it's in these physical details, the way that she brings Wanda to life. Like, there's the hair curlers in her hair. And she walks around in public with curlers in her hair. She has this purse, this white purse that she holds. Um, she has her hair when it's not up in the curlers at the beginning later on it's it's very disheveled it's on this like ponytail right at the top of her head um which is so strange to me I don't I've never worn my hair that way but it means that the hair is like always messy it's always in her face almost like she's trying to shield herself with her hair um there's this scene where she's painting her nails and she says, I'm just no good. I'm just no good. She seems so exhausted by life, so tired. And even though her voice is so tiny, it also has that little bit of twang. Because you got to remember that Loden was from North Carolina and she was born there. And so even though she may have tried to mask it once she became an actress and a model, in this film, you can hear that twang and it's authentic it feels like a f authentic twang to me i mean i have watched some movies lately with southern accents in them and it is just 
I I hate, and I talked about this on Twitter too, I hate when Southern accents are used as comic relief. I hate when Southern people are used as comic relief or as jokes or as punchlines. You know, this is where I live in the South. This is a, a diverse region, and I don't think it's given credit for that. Where I grew up, there were African-American people, there were people of color, there were, we had a Muslim family that lived down the road from us. I worked in a, in a factory, a sewing factory when I was a teenager, um, before I went to college. And there were people from, there was a woman from Pakistan there. There were women from China. There were women from Mexico. And we were all working in this one place. So it is a diverse region. You know, it, there is this idea that it's not. Does it have issues? Does it have problems? Does it have terrible racial wounds? Absolutely. I will never deny that. I will never justify the racial hatred of the South ever or the Confederacy, the horror of the Confederacy. But at the same time, this is a diverse, complex region with all kinds of people living here. And, um, with immigrants and, and people of different religions. And so I just never want that to be erased. And, and when you take a Southern accent or you take a Southern person and you turn them into a stereotype or a caricature, I think that's dangerous. I wouldn't want anybody treated that way from any region of the United States. And, um, so I was really appreciative of, the little twang in, in Loden's voice and how it was, it felt very authentic to me and it felt like, um, yeah, even though it was shot in Pennsylvania, you know, it, it had that, it had that feel about it, I think, of like the little twang in her voice and I appreciated that personally. I don't know if other people noticed it or liked it or whatever, but you know, she was from North Carolina, and so you got that sense of the character. So, so she was just, she, Loden was able to, I think, embody the smallness and the insignificance of the character of Wanda and to really bring that to life. And in many ways, Wanda is defined by failure by her failure to adhere to certain norms and expectations, especially as a woman. She abandons her kids. She, she, her husband seeks a divorce from her. She goes to court and she grants him the divorce. She says, yeah, you know, it's totally fine. She doesn't seem to really care. She, you know, she leaves the kids with him and, um, she doesn't seem to have any qualms about it. The husband said that that Wanda never did anything for him and she never took care of him or the kids and and um so from the start Wanda is a very morally ambiguous character. This is not a film about a saint. This is not a film about a great woman that we're supposed to think is so amazing. Um, this is a flawed, deeply flawed woman. Um, I would say she's amoral in many ways. She, she really is 
in the eyes of society you know she is a failure as a wife and a mother after court she goes to a sewing factory where she's been working a little bit maybe like part-time and she gets let go because she's too slow um, so she's a failure as a worker too so she's not a good mother not a good wife not a good worker all the things that define people especially in the United States like what's the first thing people ask you what do you do what's your job she can't even sew fast enough for the people at the factory so she's a failure on every front she transgresses uh, these ideas that we have about femininity and also about the expectations of a worker in a capitalist society that you have to be productive you have to be producing something you have to have a job she doesn't have a job she doesn't have kids she doesn't have a husband now she has none of those markers of status or of worth or of value as a person she really is nothing she has nothing after all of this she ends up um, she gets with a random guy at a bar the only thing she really has I guess is her sexuality she's blonde she's petite I wouldn't say she's gorgeous or anything you know she's just sort of an ordinary looking woman but it's really all she has you know and and of course he runs off he leaves her everyone leaves and rejects Wanda her husband her boss her lovers she is just constantly demeaned and abandoned and as I say this is why the film is difficult to watch it's why I had to take it in like 30 minute intervals because this is sort of relentlessly bleak in a way this is a bleak film and it's difficult to watch that constantly to see a woman treated this way and to see a woman accept being treated this way I think that's probably why when Wanda came out feminists didn't necessarily embrace her you know she's she's not standing up to these men that treat her terribly she doesn't stand up to her ball she doesn't stand up to you know these men that use her and abandon her and reject her and um it's just it's relentless the the demeaning of her um and I have to talk a minute about the color in this film at least my copy of it that I have or that I watched um there is this gorgeous dreamy blue that permeates this film and t and I watched it for the first time as I said in 2015 and this is what stayed with me beyond just the, the story and the character was this blue it's like a turquoise um, and it recurs it's in Wanda's shirt it's the color of cars it's her curlers it's the color of walls it's it is like this constant turquoise that is throughout the film I don't know if it was a filter that she used I don't know if this was in the natural environment where she filmed but there is this just like gorgeous turquoise throughout the film it's almost like this this turquoise light at times that just suffuses this film and 
I would imagine this was an aesthetic decision on the part of Loden, but I don't know. But I just wanted to comment on it because something about it stayed with me. And there is this dreamy quality, I think, to the film, even though there's this grittiness, too. There's definitely a low-budget, gritty, raw feel to the, to the footage, I think, and to the film. But then there's this beautiful blue, this beautiful turquoise that is always present. So she eventually meets the man who will determine her destiny and she goes into a bar and she doesn't realize that it's being robbed that the man named Mr. Dennis that's what she'll call him throughout the film has hurt the bar owner and has stolen money and so she just goes with him he's there they you know, he, he takes her with him for some reason. And um, they go to a restaurant. They eat spaghetti. And she eats it in the messiest way. And, of course, I thought of blue as the warmest color. I don't know if any of you have seen this film. It's, two, it's from 2013. And I have an episode that I did about it. And so immediately when I see Wanda eating this spaghetti, I think of Adele in blue as the warmest color eating spaghetti. And um, she eats it in such a messy way. Her hair's messy, just like Adele's hair was messy and blue was the warmest color. And I don't know, it was just this, this, it was just this added level of authenticity, I felt, you know, the way that Loden performed this character of allowing her to be messy, to be disheveled, to eat spaghetti and get it all over her face. And, and you know what I mean? And to not try to cover up um, the messiness of the way a woman really eats in real life. She has to become tied to Mr. Dennis really through necessity. And they are sort of like anti-Bonnie and Clyde. Like this is not some romantic joyride. Um, <laughs> these are not two sexy, gorgeous misfits um, or outlaws on the run. Um, she has no money, no job, nowhere to live. She is completely dependent on this Mr. Dennis. Um, and patriarchy makes it so that many women are dependent on men. But we don't like to talk about this. We don't, we don't like to talk about the way that women are often still dependent on men. Um, we really see feminism as being as women being free of men being independent standing on their own being in the workforce and being economically dependent especially from men but we don't talk about how a lot of women or not all women can be free of men in this way not all women can be economically successful you know i think of cheryl sandberg with the lean-in rhetoric and it really presupposes that all women are in uh, corporate jobs, you know, and that they're climbing the ladder of a corporate job or a tech company. And that's really not the reality for a lot of women. A lot of women work in retail where the hours are erratic, where their schedules are not fixed, where they don't have a lot of bargaining power, where they're not being paid a lot, you know. We really don't talk about the majority of women in this country and the kinds of work that they have to do. 
whether if it's domestic as a home health aide, which is which is a profession that's really booming because of the baby boomers and they're paid abysmally or a lot of women work in retail or they work in the service sector so we don't talk about that that a lot of women cannot survive on their own that they are often unable to be financially independent especially when women's work is often paid less and is very devalued especially women of color I just want to take a sip of drink. We see how Wanda is in a similar position. She was working at a factory sewing. When I worked at the at a factory uh, in sewing, my life really sort of intersects a lot with Wanda's in many ways. Um, I got paid minimum wage, so probably about seven twenty-five an hour. So very hard to live off that. So she is not someone who can be economically independent and provide for herself. So she's really dependent on Mr. Dennis for food, for clothing, for being taken care of in some way. And this film is very painful to watch at times, as I've said, to see her degradation, to see her dependency, to see her passivity. Um, I mean, but in the same time, this is the way people are. This is the way people are. They are not necessarily expressive. You know, this film doesn't have any kind of deep, shattering, revelatory dialogue. There's no catharsis, really, in this film, except for maybe at the end a bit. It's just really ordinary life and all its boringness, you know. And um, not that the film is boring, but not a lot happens. It's not something where there's like a lot of plot. It's not plot-driven. It's a lot of meandering, I think, a lot of wandering about on the part of the characters. And she has the chance to leave many times. Mr. Dennis says, leave. You can go. You don't have to stay with me. And she chooses to stay with him. Um, I would think out of economic necessity um, and perhaps just her own craving for attention, for connection, for love. You know, I don't think she loves him. I I really don't think he loved her either. But... Maybe that's why she stays, too, is just this need that we have, some of us, for companionship. Even if it's not, like, good companionship. Even if it's not where you're being, like, treated well. Because he hits her at one time. You know, he's very critical of her. He's critical of her clothes. Um, he's critical of everything about her, really, and... And, um, yeah, he wants her to wear dresses when she's around him. He throws out her pants, her lipstick. He's very controlling. He's sort of, I think, represents a lot of men, a lot of domineering, tyrannical, violent men. I mean, I, I can't put it any other way. It's sort of a representation of patriarchy, I think, and of the way women are treated under patriarchy. 
she has this amazing moment where she says, quote, I don't have anything. Never did have anything. Never will have anything. And that really hit me to the core, you know. And that's often how I feel, you know. And Mr. Dennis replies basically that if you don't have anything, you might as well be dead. And then Wanda says, quote, guess I'm dead then, unquote. And so there is this sense that Wanda is this sort of walking dead, I think, in a way. That she is numb, as I said before. She's numb to her life. She is passive because of that numbness. That what is the point in trying to do anything? What is the point in in having any kind of dreams or ambitions when this is all life has to offer you is is nothing you know is this empty life um i think she is haunted by a sense of you know her own nothingness her own insignificance and the sense that her life has really gone nowhere and that she has no opportunities and and unlike the real Barbara Loden who left her town in North Carolina and went to New York and became a model and actress, Wanda has no way out and she has no escape. And so for me, Wanda will always represent the women who are forgotten, the women who are rotting away, the women whose dreams never come true, the women who survive but feel like they never really lived. And that's often how I myself feel. You know, I feel like my life is going nowhere, that I'm just rotting away, you know? And there is this big lie in this country of social mobility, of upward mobility, of the American dream, that things get better. And no, no, not for some of us. You know, some of us don't have a lot of money and we live in poverty or we are working class and we are living paycheck to paycheck and we don't have health insurance and we, you know, we don't have access to opportunity or access to resources and, and our lives are just sort of nothing. It's like things don't get better. They certainly don't get better for me. <laughs> I've been through a lot in my life. Like one thing after another. A lot of death. A lot of loss. A lot of grief. Uh, so much loss. I lost my father in 2006 when I was 16. The next year I lost my grandmother. 2009 I lost my uncle. I recently lost my house. Um, I've had issues with my health. I've had issues with depression and anxiety. And so, I mean, I can give you my sob story. You know, I don't consider it a sob story. But other people would see it as, oh, she's complaining or, oh, she's whining. Or, you know, why can't she just, you know, pull herself up by the bootstraps? Or why can't she be strong? Or... Why can't she do this? Or why can't she do that? And 
they completely ignore the ways in which, you know, capitalism affects people's lives and the options that they have and the resources that they have access to. And that's been a big part of my life. So it's not a sob story. It's my life. It's my story. And it's a painful story. And it's one that I live because nobody else has to live it. Nobody else has to wake up with what I have to wake up with or what I wake up to and the things I think about and the trauma that I've endured and that I've tried to survive. I just often feel like I'm on my on my knees, on my hands and knees crawling and crawling through life and I am in this hole that I cannot get out of. And that's real. That's my reality and I don't ever sugarcoat anything in this podcast and I never will. And so Wanda is Wanda is me. Wanda is a part of me. She is a reflection of me. She is a rare, rare reflection of a woman like me who struggles to cope and who is silenced and erased and who is nothing and going nowhere. And um, I think so many women... I mean, what is that quote? Was it Thoreau? Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Well, I would certainly include women in that, that there are women leading lives of quiet desperation, leading lives of aching and emptiness and numbness. And I see that in Wanda, you know, and I see that in myself. And Wanda acknowledges her own amorality. She says at one point, I'm just no good. I'm just no good. You know, she knows it. She knows that she's abandoned her kids. You know, she knows. She knows. Um, but she is what she is. So, I mean, it's complicated to champion her, isn't it? It's complicated to say, oh, I'm, I relate to Wanda when she's not an innocent person. She's not, like, a, I don't know if I'd call her a good person. You know, she's just someone who's surviving and doing the best she can in certain instances. But, of course, she's not, like, a saint or anything like that. She's very passive. At first, she doesn't want to participate in the robbery. Um, she says she's not going to do it, but of course, she relents and she does it. And this is one of the few times in the film when she actually acts, when she actually does something, because she's incredibly passive. And I'm a very passive person as well. Um, so this is like a, a moment in which she actually participates, even though she vomits before they're going to do the robbery they go to I guess it's like a the bank manager or somebody that works at the bank and they go to his house where he's with his wife and his daughters and and they go with a gun and this fake bomb that Mr. Dennis put together there's this scuffle between the manager and Mr. Dennis and Wanda actually grabs the gun and points it and and is pointing it at the manager and she gives the gun to Mr. Dennis so it's this really kind of shocking moment of her amorality or maybe her immorality 
that she could change things, right? She could she could point it at Mr. Dennis. She could say, we're not going to do this. But she doesn't. She points it at the manager. So she is an active participant in this. And her motives are not entirely clear. And there's this point at which Mr. Dennis tells her that she did good and she smiles. And it's this very kind of chilling moment, I would say, because her amorality, or if you want to call it her immorality, is really on display. I mean, I don't think this film is about romanticizing crime or criminals. I think it is about amorality. I think it's about how we're really all capable of violence or of breaking the law in certain circumstances. Um, we're not, you know, we're, we're all capable of that to some extent. We don't like to think that about ourselves, but she's not an angel, but she's not a monster either. You know, this film, this film has a lot of ambiguity about it, I think, and a lot of conflict in that way or contradiction that she's not perfect, but she's not a monster either. She's sort of... She's both a passive and a she's both both passive and a participant. She's a lot of things all at once that don't necessarily make sense. And um you to talk about this film you can't deny her role in the crime and in the robbery and in a certain amount of violence. But she doesn't necessarily take pleasure in it, though she does seem to get pleasure from his approval, from getting male approval. Because really, maybe that's all she's ever had in her life is, is is attention from men or approval from men. And so that is important to her. She's supposed to be the getaway car for the robbery. Um, Mr. Dennis goes with the manager to the bank. She gets lost on the way. So she's a failure as a criminal, too. She's a failure as a wife, a mother, a worker. And now as a getaway driver, criminal for a robber, for a bank robber, um, she gets stopped by a cop. Um, she doesn't have her license with her. It's just all these things happen. And Mr. Dennis ends up dying um, in a shootout with the police. And it's so interesting because I watched this film in 2015, but I had forgotten the next part of it. So I had just remembered the bank robbery. And I guess in my mind I had thought, oh, well, that's sort of the end of the film, this bank robbery. Well, it's not. She meets another guy at a bar. And I can see sort of why feminists in the 70s probably did not champion this film. You know, if you think about it, that's sort of when the feminist, the women's movement is starting in a way. And it's there's this idea of wanting to not be dependent on men or not wanting to be defined by men. And Wanda is very different. Wanda goes from man to man to man. Um, she doesn't seem to take a lot of pleasure in sex, but she knows how to use her sexuality to, um, to, to find a man who will give something to her, whether it's, you know, money or approval or attention or she just goes from man to man. She she doesn't seem to know how to live without a man in her life. Um, 
But as I say, the film makes it clear why that's a necessity. Because this is a woman without money, without skills, without prospects, without a home, you know, without anything really, without money. And so she needs to find someone who can provide for her and give her something. But this this is different with this guy. They're in his car. They go. He wants to have sex with her. She seems to relent to that and to and to submit to him. But as soon as he tries to to initiate it, she violently resists. This is one of the also the few times when she acts when she is not passive or submissive. She even hits him with the purse that she's carried all throughout the film. This is one of the few times when she reacts to something. When she when she doesn't have her little girl voice, her little soft voice, she actually shrieks. She physically fights back. She is upset. You know, for so much of this film, she is numb. She's numb to her life. She's numb to what happens to her. She just is sort of carried along by events and by people. And it is just this stunning moment, and I can't believe I forgot about it. And there's just something very moving about this scene is her screaming and her fighting and her having some kind of emotion. And I would say that this is almost like a cathartic thing. This is a catharsis in the film. She runs in the woods and she's crying. I mean, this is the first time she has really shown any kind of emotion at all. Which makes it even more moving, I think, and even more powerful. It seems like everything that's happened to her, from the moment we see her at the beginning of the film, waking up on her sister's couch, you know, losing her job, uh, going through the divorce, everything that happens with Mr. Dennis and his death, it's like she has finally hit some kind of limit to what she can take and what she can deal with and what she can endure and it makes you wonder is she crying over the death of Mr. Dennis or is she crying for herself and her life and what her life has become and the limited options she has and how trapped she is in her life and how you don't know you don't know why she's crying but something has broken inside of her and um and the ending is quite haunting she just she finds another bar she's always going to bars and she just ends up sitting at this table with these people someone offers her a cigarette someone offers her a hot dog she's just sitting there with a cigarette in her mouth eating this hot dog and there's that numbness back in her face again she's not talking she's not reacting everybody around her is talking and is um demonstrative and and gregarious and she's just there she's numb again the numbness has has seeped back into her and we don't know what happens to her but we don't have any doubt i don't think that it's not good whatever does happen to her and that she will continue to drift she will continue to struggle to find a place and struggle to to be loved 
and it's just haunting in a way I, I can't believe I had forgotten those scenes the one in the woods and then where she's just sitting in this bar and she just looks so empty and just so done <laughs> she just looks like she doesn't care you know so she has this moment in the woods of that emotion and then it just drains it drains her and she's back to that numbness and that emptiness I think and so I think that's what will always in a way haunt me about Wanda is how Loden puts puts someone who is really a, a negation is someone who is nothing is no one is nobody is um is just existing you know she's so ordinary though you feel like you know her you feel like you've known women like her and then of course in my case I feel that I am her that I am like her in many ways um my identification with her is very profound and so to end this podcast I wanted to read an essay that I wrote for a website called Burning House Press. I am the nonfiction editor for the website. And I wrote it in November 2016 after I read The Astounding Suite for Barbara Loden by Natalie Leger, which I mentioned earlier. And this book is if you love Wanda or if my podcast has interested you in Wanda and Barbara Loden, then I really think that you need to read Natalie Leger's Suite for Barbara Loden. So I wrote a review of the book, but this review was in a way a hybrid review because I was also talking about the film of Wanda. I was talking about Barbara Loden. I was talking about my life and I was talking about the book. So I was writing about everything really, you know. And I started the review with a quote from Suite for Barbara Loden. Quote, Barbara Loden is Wanda, as they say in the movies. Her inspiration for the screenplay was a newspaper story she had read about a woman convicted of robbing a bank. Her accomplice was dead and she appeared in court alone. Sentenced to 20 years in prison, she thanked the judge, interviewed when the film came out, after it had been awarded the International Critics Award at the 1970 Venice Film Festival, Barbara would say how deeply affected she had been by the story of this woman. What pain, what hopelessness, could make a person desire to be put away? How could imprisonment be relief? Unquote. And then here's the essay that I wrote, and this will be the end of, of the podcast episode. And this review just says everything that I want to say, really. From an early age, I knew I wouldn't make it in this world. So I connected with women who, in my mind, shared that feeling. Plath and Wolf with their suicides, speaking of a deep pain. Barbara Loden and her film Wanda, in which the title character wanders alone and unloved. Wanda is poor, and she is voiceless, and she is invisible. 
I understand the not-thereness of her. Natalie Leger felt a connection to Wanda as well. Tasked with writing an encyclopedia entry about actress Barbara Loden, she quickly became obsessed and expanded her inquiry, writing Sweet for Barbara Loden, a gorgeous and dizzying investigation and excavation. Leger delves into Loden's life, at times embellishing and inventing, and analyzes every layer of Loden's only film, Wanda. The book is fact and fiction and memoir and film criticism. It is a love letter to Loden and to the singular film she created. I still remember when I first watched Wanda. It was a year ago, autumn 2015. I watched it in my house, my childhood home, that is no longer mine. A place I was deeply connected to that was taken away. No real home anymore. I'm as lost as Wanda. I always was. When I saw her, I instantly recognized myself. Of Wanda, Leger writes, quote, She has no money, or almost none. She is on her own. She has nothing, and is good for nothing, unquote. She's a drowning woman, a woman swallowed by landscape and time and the world's indifference to her and her own indifference to herself. Wanda leaves her husband and kids and ends up meeting a criminal and helping him rob a bank. She's supposed to be the getaway driver, but on the way to the bank to retrieve the man, she becomes lost. The man dies in a shootout with police. The story is based on a true story. Loden took another woman's story and mixed it with her own. Wanda is a hybrid of its source material and of Loden herself. It's infused with her, feel, her own feelings, experiences, and subjectivity. Loden created one film and died. She was robbed of the time to create more. But at least she did one great thing. I remember also Elia Kazan taking credit for Wanda, trying to silence and dismiss Loden as an artist in her own right. He must have been intimidated, must have recognized the film's greatness. Otherwise, why try to claim it as his own? I return to the character of Wanda. I know her well, this cinematic reflection of my insides. I'm like Wanda, not good at anything, going from job to job, not good enough, not really here, not really alive, drifting, sleepwalking, waiting, for what? for it all to end. I don't care about film theory. I don't care about academia or psychoanalysis or writing smart, profound things about movies. I care about the experience of the film, the relationship between myself and the story. I feel films. I intuit them. I can't really write about them. Besides, Wanda is beyond language. She is flesh and blood to me. Leger writes about Wanda well, and her writing testifies to how a film lives even after it ends. Or maybe it never ends. Leger's project is a seance. At its core, cinema is a raising of the dead, a mixing of the living with the dead. Cinema inspires obsession. 
These images get inside our heads, and we can't erase them. Leger won't let go of Wanda or Loden. A woman makes a movie about another woman. A woman watches that movie and writes a book about the woman director and the woman subject of the film. A woman, myself, reads that book and feels transformed by all these women who gave voice to the things she struggles to write. You either understand Wanda or you don't. You either see yourself in her or she repulses you. The helplessness, the oddness, the obliviousness. How could she leave her kids? How could she stay with a man and help him commit a crime? How could she let herself be demeaned? Wanda never had freedom. Maybe that's why prison is a relief. Life holds nothing for her. Is Leger's book a form of literary stalking? Leger follows Loden through the decades, but is never able to pin her down. Loden remains a mystery, an unknowable woman. Just as I can't write about films, I also can't write about books. What a lousy writer I am. I feel so many things, and decided that words were the only way I could express some of them. But I fail at it. I fail at everything, like Wanda, who failed as a wife, and a mother, and a worker, and a woman, and a criminal. She failed spectacularly. She failed so much that failing was her only talent. I guess it's my talent, too. I want people to read Sweet for Barbara Loden and feel what I felt, but you need a life of pain and failure to understand Wanda. You need to have blank eyes and a not-thereness, and I don't wish that on anyone. You need to be a little bit wounded and broken and unable to heal. Wanda does not triumph. Wanda is crawling on her knees in the dirt. She is what we pretend not to see. The woman we don't want to become. But I've already become her. I'm so passive. Wanda is passive. At age 16, when I took a driver's education class and we were at the point where we drove in the car, I kept saying sorry for everything, for every mistake I made. Annoyed, the teacher blurted out to me one day, stop saying sorry. I'm still terrified of driving. Maybe I'm scared of freedom, of independence, of being an active participant in life. Things happen to me. Things happen to Wanda. She doesn't do much to change it. She isn't capable. She keeps taking it. I keep taking it. After the teacher demanded that I stop saying sorry, I said sorry. I always feel like I have to apologize for my existence, like there's no reason for my life or for me being here. For ten years I haven't wanted to be here. My father died, and I stopped wanting to be alive. Maybe Wanda lost someone. Maybe something traumatic and unspeakable happened to her. She carries untold damage. She is a reminder that so many of us can't cope. So many of us can't make it in this world. Leger writes something similar about Wanda. Quote, we will never know the source of the wound that condemns Wanda to this loneliness. 
We will never know what ancient betrayal or long-distant neglect plunged her into this state of constant and absolute distress. We will never know what loss, what absence she cannot get over. We accept her the way we accept ourselves, in blind ignorance, unable to put a name to the grief of existing. Her face, Wanda's face, inscrutable, sad, obstinate, unquote. Some of us will leave this world without a trace. Some of us are so small and slight and transparent that our exit won't register. Our absence will have no presence. We were never here. We were never here. And that is my episode on Barbara Loden's Wanda. I'll just say one more thing. We have this obsession in our culture with strong women. And I wrote, and I talked about it recently, I don't want strong women. I don't want strong female characters in movies or books. I want authentic female characters. Authentic women. Because not all of us are strong, and not all of us overcome, and not all of us triumph in life. Some of us, like Wanda, are in the dirt. Some of us are crawling. Some of us are grief-stricken. Some of us are hurting. Some of us are broken. Some of us are irreparable. Some of us are traumatized. Some of us are empty. Some of us are lonely. Some of us never quite make it. Some of us are not made for this world. Some of us can't survive. Some of us can't survive. So I want female characters who are authentic and complicated and messy and strange and hard to look at sometimes and painful to look at sometimes. I want it all. I want women like Wanda. I am a woman like Wanda. And Wanda's story and the stories of women like Wanda, the erased, the invisible, the lonely, the empty, the numb, the heartbroken, the heartbroken. Their stories deserve to be told too, and they deserve to have a voice. And with Wanda, Barbara Loden gave a voice to those women, and she gave a voice to someone like me. And maybe one day, I'll be able to put more of this into words and to maybe find my own voice. I'm trying. I'm trying. So this podcast is one way that I communicate my voice. So thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now.